yeah, so tonight we're going to have a look at uh, the most incredible life of a man who lived 2,000 years ago, roughly 2,000 years ago. Uh, and it was surely the most unique um, and most inspirational life that has ever, ever been lived. It was, it was unique from the very beginning, being born of a, of a virgin and a man who claimed to be the very son of God. Um, now, it was during his three-year ministry that Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? Because in his short time on earth, he'd already created quite a stir. And different people thought different things about um, Jesus. For some, he was a great healer. Uh, he came and he healed many who had been, for most of their life, uh, inflicted with disease that no doctor or physician could, uh, could, could help. To many, he was the most incredible teacher that they'd ever heard or ever had the privilege of, of hearing. It was after his first public sermon on the Mount of Olives that the crowd was stunned at the things that he taught and, and, and the way that he taught. And their reaction was that the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. His message was truly different and he taught with such uh, authority. To many of the Jews at the time who were living a life under Roman rule, he was their saviour or hopes to be their saviour, the king who would rescue his people right here and right now. On the other hand, uh, many people thought that Jesus was a madman, that he had a devil, and at times even his, his direct family thought that he was losing his mind. See, Jesus, he attracted many who were, who were tormented with different psychiatric illnesses and they followed him around. And it got people wondering whether he himself had been inflicted in the same way. And he said weird things like, unless you eat my flesh or unless you drink my blood, then you can't be saved. And people couldn't understand what he was going on about. Others knew him as the man who could do great miracles. And people would follow him around just to witness one of these miracles. Just like he was some kind of a showman or that he was a, he was a performer um, who drew crowds from all these places. And they would tell their friends um, probably of the miracles that they'd witnessed, um, the incredible things they saw, but they, they didn't think so much about um, his teachings. To the religious leaders at the time, uh, he was an enemy. He, he was a fraud who had the audacity to question the way that they were going about things. He was someone who was friends with all the wrong people that you shouldn't be friends with, according to the religious rulers. He, he, um, he spent time with, with drunkards and with tech, tax collectors, people you weren't meant to, to spend time with. Um, and he broke laws like resting on the Sabbath. And so he was, he was everything that religion really was not meant to be. To the people of his hometown in Nazareth, where he grew up, he was simply Jesus, um, the son of Joseph, the carpenter. Simon Peter, who Jesus originally asked this question to, 
He was the Christ, the son of the living God. To those living 2,000 years ago in the very age where Jesus was living, everyone knew who Jesus was and everyone had their opinion about this man. And as we move forward 2,000 years to our own time now, that remains, um, that remains very true. Nearly every person walking on this planet, I would think just about everyone, would know who Jesus is. The world stops, or ne nearly the whole world stops, on December 25 every year to uh, celebrate the birth of Jesus. But opinions are still just as divided. The life that he lived has, has left a mark on society that is felt today. And, and that fact, 2,000 years after he lived, that's quite astounding. So what did Jesus do on earth 2,000 years ago? So tonight we're going to look at three things that he did um, that would change the course of history forever. We're going to look that he revealed God's glory, that he brought good news to the world and that he was willing to give his life. At the end of John's gospel, he said this about Jesus' life. He said, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. What a remarkable thing to say. There is so much recorded about Jesus' life, so much detail. But even that detail we have is just a tiny snapshot of all that Jesus did and all that Jesus achieved in his life. And, how, and of this snapshot of the details that we have written about Jesus in the Bible, tonight we're going to look at just three things that he did when he lived 2,000 years ago and why that life was truly so remarkable. But it's just a drop in the ocean of all that this man was and all that he did. So the first thing that we'll look at, that Jesus, 2,000 years ago, he revealed God's glory. Now, before Jesus came along, there'd been many good and faithful people who had lived. Uh, earlier in the year, uh, on Tuesday nights, we, we looked at a number of these characters incredible characters really, um, characters like Abraham and uh, Ruth and Paul and uh, we looked at Jesus as well. Um, but these people who themselves lived these incredible lives and who overcame challenges and hard times in their lives and, and some of them, some of the things that they did were was just amazing. But Jesus was the first person and the only person who has truly revealed God's glory in the way that he lived his life. So what does that actually mean? Well, God chose Jesus to reveal himself to the world in a way that he had never been revealed before. Through Jesus, we get a greater appreciation of who God is and what God is like. And in this way, he revealed God's glory. Prior to Jesus, there were only glimpses of God's glory and never a full picture. Now, one of the best things that I've ever seen um, is the Great Barrier Reef. And some of you might have seen this as well. But about five years ago, me and Steph had a holiday up at Port Douglas and um, a beautiful place. And we thought that since we were up here, it would be wrong of us not to go and visit the Great Barrier Reef. 
and I had heard a bit about it. And as we were going out on the boat, I probably wasn't um, expecting, you know, that that um, much. I was expecting to see a few fish. Um, but what I saw um, really blew me away. It was like a completely different world that I had never, um, I'd never like really seen before. Colours and objects that I never knew existed. And seeing these sorts of things, I think, can help give us an appreciation of God's wisdom and God's power. And we can experience a taste of God's glory. Now, another example is music. Uh, when, when a skilled musician or when an orchestra plays a tune, it can sound quite glorious. The only time that I've been to like the proper orchestra was a few years ago and I heard the Adelaide Symphony Orchestra play Rachmaninoff. And before going, I didn't know much about um, this composer Rachmaninoff, but he's a, famous, he's a famous composer. I think he must be uh, German or Russian, probably somewhere from there. <laughs> um, and he's like Beethoven or, or Brahms or, you know, these, these sort of, uh, yeah, um, musicians. And the complexity of the music that they would write is just quite incredible. And only a handful of people throughout history have been able to do the sorts of things that they did and have that sort of talent. But to have the glory of that music revealed, not just anyone can pick up the music and start playing. I remember being in a band back at Turner College when I was at school and, uh, and I was on percussion. So I'd you know, hit a bass drum every now and then or um, you know, hit a triangle at, at, at roughly the right time. And from memory, we didn't play any Rachmaninoff. But if we did, I guarantee you that it wouldn't have sounded as glorious and it wouldn't have done justice to the incredible skill of this man as a composer of music. But sitting at the Adelaide Town Hall and listening to the ASO play this music, the music itself sounded incredible. The sounds all came together at once. They were pure, it was crisp, and it revealed the true skill of this man, Rachmaninoff. And when the, when the band stopped playing, when the orchestra stopped playing, I should say, everyone jumped up on their feet and they were, there was a round of applause that went for ages, it seems. And that applause was obviously for the orchestra who had played that music, but it was also applause for... Um, the skill of that composer, Rachmaninoff, and his music. Now, it was the life of Jesus where the true glory that God has and the true glory that is contained in the Bible was finally revealed. And just like a skilled orchestra playing uh, incredible music, it was Jesus who was the only one ever capable of truly showing the glory of God and the glory that was contained or and is contained in the Bible. And what he showed was something truly incredible. Let's look at this verse in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What a verse. Just think about what that's saying. It says that God decided that he would bring light into this world. And the light is the knowledge 
of God's glory. And that is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. So if we want to see God's true glory, then we look at the life of Jesus. That's what it's saying. But it's saying much more than that because seeing the glory of God revealed through Jesus is more than just an interesting um, story. It's, um, it's something that shines in our hearts. It gets in our hearts and it changes us as people. That's what that light does. That's where it affects us. And it's seen in the face of Jesus. It's seen in the life of Jesus. We read this in John 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That Jesus was the word made flesh. Jesus wasn't um, trying to mimic God's glory or he wasn't um, trying to act it out like a, a skilled actor tries to act out the character that they're, that they're taking off. Jesus was showing God's glory, the genuine thing, the, the real glory of God and what it's like. So what did Jesus do 2,000 years ago? And what he did 2,000 years ago teaches us about God's glory. So what was this glory that was revealed? Well, it was a very different, very different to man's idea of glory, and that's why the story is so incredible. You may or may not uh, be aware or know that uh, over the last three or four months there's been a documentary that has come out called The Last Dance, and it's been incredibly popular all over the world. And it's a documentary that's about the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, the greatest ever basketball player and probably um, would have to be the most famous sports person of all time. Now, when I was growing up, I loved basketball and I, I took a keen interest in, in the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. And when, when I was playing basketball at school, I remember um, that we, all, the, all, the, all the players would just fight over who got to war, number 23, which was... Michael Jordan's number. We all wanted to wear Michael Jordan's number. Now, the brand Nike was really made um, or was Michael Jordan was, was incredibly influential on the rise of this brand Nike. So they were quite a, a, like a smallish size company or, you know, a, um, not a large company like they are now before they signed Jordan to wear these Nike shoes. And since then, they've taken off to be one of the biggest clothing companies of all time. And one of their most popular marketing slogans was, I want to be like Mike. And I remember that as a kid. I remember that, um, that slogan and on T-shirts and everything, um, be like Mike. You see, Michael Jordan was the best in the world at basketball. He could jump incredibly high. He had a million-dollar smile. He was cool and he had a lot of swagger and he seemed like a good guy. He had huge wealth and he was a winner. Everyone wanted to be like Mike. And so Michael Jordan is an example of what the glory of man looks like. It looks good. We are attracted to that kind of glory. But that's not the kind of glory that Jesus revealed. Jesus' life didn't look glorious at all, really. Just look at these few verses. So Luke 2 verse 7. 
And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So from the first moment that Jesus was born, he wasn't born in a way that you would think would be worthy of the son of God to be born and the, and the, and the person who would show forth God's glory. This wasn't a glorious birth. He was born um, right out, out the back where the animals were amongst, amongst the animals. We read in, Je- in Luke 9, verse 58, and Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. So there were a lot of people who came to Jesus and they wanted to follow Jesus. And what Jesus said was that, you know, if you're going to follow me, you have to understand that my life is not very glorious. In fact, I don't even have a place at night time after a long day to go and rest my head. I don't have a bed. I don't have a home. Um, Matthew 20, verse 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be saved, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So most of, the, most of the glorious people we know, they're, they're the people really who are being served upon. But that's not what Jesus came to do at all. His life was not um, to come and for people to, to serve him. He came in the form of a servant to be the one who was going to serve and, in fact, to give his, to give his very life for others. And this verse in Isaiah um, is, is particularly incredible. This is a, um, a prophecy about what the life of Jesus would be like. It says he was despised, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. That is the glory that Jesus came to show. And you think, well, what glory? What glory is there? See, Jesus' life demonstrates something very important about God's glory. His life or his glory is revealed by his character. That's where true glory is revealed. We read this, we read this just before, but read it again in John 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of, gra- full of grace and truth. So Jesus' life 2,000 years ago was full of grace and truth. And that right there is the character of God himself. And when we won't turn there, but back in Exodus when Moses, when God said to Moses, Moses, I'm going to show you my glory. I'm going to reveal to you my glory. And we read in Exodus what happened and we read that what was revealed to um, was what was revealed to Moses was um, was not you know God setting a mountain on fire or you know devouring devouring something in incredible incredibly powerful fashion he could have done that but that's not how he revealed his his glory God revealed his glory in his character his mercy and his his um, his love and his long suffering and his truth. It was in his character, and that's exactly what Jesus did in his life. His life was full of grace and truth, the very character of God. That's where glory is revealed. So what did Jesus spend his time on earth doing? 
Well, he spent his time feeding the hungry, healing the sick, giving hope to the lost, finding those who society had cast out, those finding those who no one wanted to hang around with, and he, he found those people. And ultimately, he showed that glory by laying down his life as an innocent man in order to save others because of the love that he had for his father and for mankind. Um, it, was, it was a truly glorious life. So the next thing that Jesus did 2,000 years ago was that he brought good news to the world. To understand the good news that Jesus brought to the world, we first have to understand the problem with humanity. Now, we're all mortal beings, and with, with that mortality comes certain conditions. The first is that our lives are temporary. So we're all dying creatures. And at best, we might live, or very best, we might live till we're 100 years old. And if we, if we were to live to 100 years old, we would have many good times and we would also have many times of hardship and struggle. And that's what life's like. We do experience happiness, but that happiness is not a constant state. It comes and it goes. And we also, we also have downtimes and we get sick and our family and our loved ones get sick too. And sometimes we might, we might suffer tragedy. Have you ever heard someone say when something um, bad happens to them, they say, um, that's life. That's, that's what a lot of people say, that's life. You know, that's, that's life. Um, we all understand that in life we need to take the good with the bad. And hopefully there's more good than bad at the end of the day. Now, the other problem that we have as humanity is that we all struggle to do the right thing. So humans have an understanding. It's almost like this innate understanding of what is, what is the right thing to do. But we struggle to make the right choice all the time. At times, we all get frustrated by our inability to do what we know we should do and to behave how we know we should behave. And often, instead of doing what we know is right, we can act out selfishly. And this might cause our self pain and it, and it might also cause our loved ones pain as well. The trouble is that life has been life for so long that so many people know no, nothing different. That's, that's all we know. We, we only know this life. It's the only life we've, we've lived so far. We're used to the way things are. And when this is the case, we can easily forget the severity of the problem. Now, last week I was listening to the radio and on, the, on this radio there was a boy who was being interviewed and this, this, um, this boy had decided, he was a young, young kid, and he decided that he was going to have his leg amputated. And in this interview he talked about the fact that he was born with um, an issue with one of the bones in his leg and he had had all these different surgeries to try and correct the problem. He loved playing sport, but he couldn't play sport because of the issue with his leg. And his choice came down to, the, came down to two things. His choice was to have another surgery and to go through the rehab and try again to, to make the best of this leg or to go through with amputation. 
and he decided to amputate his leg. And it was quite a sort of quite a moving interview when you heard um, this boy and his family talk about this decision that he had come to. And you couldn't help but feel sorry for this, this young kid who has had to make this, this incredibly big and life-changing decision at such a young age and all the challenges that he's going to face because of this. But imagine for a moment that everyone, just everyone was born with one leg. And, and I'm not saying that to, be, um, to make light of it in any way, but it's interesting, isn't it? If, if we were all born with one leg, you know, we would, instead of walking and running, we'd all be hopping around. We'd probably come up with all these devices that made it easy for us and quick for us to get around. We wouldn't be as fast or we wouldn't be as agile, but we probably wouldn't think twice about it at all. That would be life. That is, unless we saw someone walk past us with two legs and then we would know, we would realise that we are in fact deficient in that way. Now imagine this, imagine that everyone living on earth um, was immortal and that everyone was immortal, just ev everyone who lived was immortal and no one got sick and everyone did what was right all the time. No one struggled with that and imagine that everyone was in a constant state of, of happiness and peace and contentment. So imagine that that's what life was like, that that was normal. But then imagine that a young married couple have a child and the child looks perfect. It just looks like a great, perfect, perfect baby. But then the doctor walks in and tells this couple to sit down because I've got some difficult news to tell you. Your baby has been born with a condition and that condition is called mortality. And they ask, you know, what's, what's mortality? Is it, is it serious, doctor? And he says, yes, it's, it's very, very serious. He says, I'm sorry to say this, but your child will at best live till they are 80 or 90 years old and possibly much shorter than that. And on top of this, Unlike you and me, your child is going to be prone to sickness. They'll have times of sickness. They'll get tired and they'll experience pain through their life. And for nearly half of each day, they're going to be fast asleep, unconscious. They'll experience times of happiness just like we all do, but it won't last and they're going to have many times of sadness. And with this mortality, comes an inability for them to do what's right all the time. You see, they, they know what's right and, and, and they, they want to do what's right, but you might find them acting selfishly and doing harm to themselves. Now, it's an interesting way to think about the way things are. So many people just accept the way, the way that things are, living as if there's nothing wrong with life or with humanity. But life has not always been this way, nor is it meant to be this way. When Adam and Eve were created, things were quite different. There was no suffering. The world was full of peace and they had direct access to God who walked among them. They were not mortal, but we're told that they were very good. But they chose to go their own way and they wanted more than what God had given them and they rebelled against God. So from then on, humans have become mortal, dying, 
creatures subject to pain and suffering. Now, when Jesus lived on earth 2,000 years ago, he brought good news, good news that God would save us from this human condition with a promise of a much better life. And Jesus would be intricately involved in this saving work. Jesus' role was to do more than just be a healer or of, of people's sicknesses. He was, he was more than just someone who did miracles. What his true purpose was, was to save people from mortality and to give them a new life, one that was immortal and with the capacity to do what was right all of the time. That was his gospel message. And he refers to this as the kingdom of God that would come on the earth. Here is the good news that would be available through Jesus. We read in Luke 2, verse 10 to 11. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And then we read this in John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. See, everything around us is perishing, isn't it? We're perishing. Um, and if the things that we have don't, don't perish, we'll perish before them and then we'll, we'll, um, we'll hand them on to someone else who comes after us. John 3, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Romans 5 verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we, were, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6 verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And finally, Romans 1 verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, um, now that word Greek is, um, is a word that essentially means a non-Jew. So another word that is used is Gentile. And it refers to anyone, it refers to anyone who wasn't a Jew. And you might think that that's quite obvious that, 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 this would, that Jesus would come and and, um, and preach this gospel to, to everyone, the Jew and to the non-Jew. But that wasn't what was thought of at the time. The Jews at the time believed that, that it was only them who were God's chosen people and it was only them who had access to the promises that God had given. But when Jesus came, he, he preached this gospel, this good news to everyone, to everyone of every generation and not just to um not just based on reputation. And again, the religious world was, was very much based on, on reputation. It was um, it, someone, um, someone who came from the right family was thought of better than someone who came from the wrong family. Um, and so, uh, and so Je Jesus came and he changed it all. He, he, went, he went to the, to the very lowest person, the person who um, was, was the lowest in society. And he says, 
the good news is that you, the, the lowest person, is going to be first. They're going to be the first in the kingdom of God in this new life, in this new world that He was going to, that He was going to bring. This is the good news that Jesus brought to the world, that God, through Jesus, would redeem people back to Himself, that we can be God's children once again, and we can live the life that we have been called to live. Now, at times, life in Australia can be good. It can be really good, but it's not the life that we've been called to live. We've been called to much greater things than these. And that's what Jesus, that's the good news that Jesus brought 2,000 years ago. Now, finally, Jesus, 2,000 years ago, willingly gave his life. So Jesus um, had a central role, as I said, to play in the good news that he brought to the world. But it wasn't all good news for him. His role was to sacrifice his life so that others might be saved. This was Jesus' mission in life given to him by his father. Now, giving your life for someone else is, is um, no doubt the highest act of love that you can show. When you can honestly say that you would die so that someone else might live, then you know that you love that person. And there are very, there are probably very few people, or sorry, there are probably very of those, very few of those people in our lives who can, who we can honestly say that about. Now Jesus was probably not the first person to give his life for someone else, and he definitely wasn't the last person to give his life for someone else. There are probably many, many parents out there who have given their lives for their children. I think every, every woman who goes into, into labour, in, in essence, what they're saying is, is that they're prepared to die in order to give life to that child that's inside them. And these days it's, it's much better and the risks of childbirth are so much less. But, um, but going back a few years, it was very common that women would die during childbirth. Each year on Anzac Day and, and Remembrance Day, we, we remember um, young men and, and young women who have bravely fought for their country and lost their lives on the battlefield. We might say that they gave their lives in order that we have the life that we have now. And that's true. They did give their life for many of the freedoms that we enjoy. But there was something different and truly unique about the way in which Jesus gave his life. He willingly gave his life from the moment he was old enough to understand his purpose in life, which for him was probably at a very young age. Imagine growing up and knowing all the prophecies in the Bible as Jesus did about the details of his death. There's so many details about it and he knew all of them. When someone gives their life for someone else, it's usually done in the spare of a moment situation. And even then, the person who is giving their life will do their best to preserve their own life at the same time as, say, as saving someone else. Think of a soldier who goes into the battlefield. They know the risks involved and they know that it might mean their life. But they also do their best to preserve their life in the process, to do their job for their country and to come out the other side alive, but not Jesus. Not only did he know 
many years beforehand that he would willingly give his life. He knew that to save mankind, he would ultimately, it would ultimately mean the loss of his life. There would be no preserving this. And not only this, he knew the charges that would be levelled against him. Sorry, I'll get there. He, he also knew the very details of exactly how his death would unfold. He knew how it would happen. He knew the very person who was going to betray him and he knew who that person was long before they betrayed him. And he knew the exact location, the Garden of Gethsemane, where an army would take him by force. He knew how that was going to happen. Not only this, he knew the charges that would be levelled against him falsely and he knew exactly what to say to get off those charges, but he opened not his mouth. Every step along the way, he willingly took part in his death, scene by scene, until he was finally put on the cross. We read this in Isaiah chapter 53. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Now, a lamb who's, who's taken and who's going to be slaughtered doesn't know what's going on, doesn't have any idea what's going on. But Jesus was that lamb and he knew exactly what was going on every step of the way and he went along willingly. And that was the character of this man. John 10 verse 18, no one takes it from me, that is Jesus' life. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received from my father. You see, Jesus had every opportunity to preserve his life if he had wished, but he willingly gave his life in order to save others. It wasn't taken from him, taken in the sense that it was against his will. It was given in every sense, every day of his life, he chose to take part in that purpose. What an incredible life that this man lived 2,000 years ago. Now, who was it that Jesus laid, his, laid down his life for? As he looked out from the cross, amongst the faces in the crowd, he would have seen those who he loved. He would have seen his mother's face. He died for her. He would have seen some of his disciples' faces, those, those men who had faithfully been with him for so long and, and through so many ups and downs and who had grown so close to Jesus. He died for them. He died for Mary, for Martha and for Lazarus, who we are told Jesus loved. He died for his friends and he died for his loved ones. But that's not all he died for. Jesus died for the ungodly, we're told. He died for those who were living unrepentant lives in an ungodly manner. He died for those who had turned to him and for those who hadn't turned to him yet. As he looked down from the cross on those who were hurling abuse at him, on those men who were clapping their hands in joy to see Jesus finally suffer, he said this to his father in prayer, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
Father, forgive them, please. Please don't write these people off. Give them opportunity to see their faults. Give them opportunity to repent so that they can become part of our family. Jesus died for them. Now, if we find that example quite moving and we find that example powerful and we shake our heads in amazement at what Jesus was willing to do and who he was willing to die for, then what we experience in that very moment is the glory of God himself. That's what it is. That's the glory. God's glory is revealed in the life of Jesus and his willingness to lay down his life. God's glory is where we started tonight. It's Jesus' willingness to die for the ungodly, for you and for me. That's the light that gets into our hearts. And that is what is still moving people today, 2,000 years after Jesus walked on this earth. So 2,000 years ago, we've seen Jesus did three things, or many more than three things, but we've considered these three things, that he revealed God's glory through his character. He brought good news to the world and he willingly gave his life um, for you and for me. So thank you very much for your attention. Thank you.